0: This is Larie Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. This is someone who knows a lot, I think, about cooperative economics, and she's going to talk with us a bit today about what that looks like when it comes to our neighborhoods. Annalisa Carter is a professional retailer, or uh, excuse me, realtor, licensed in Washington, D.C. and Maryland, currently working at Keller Williams Preferred Properties Brokerage. Uh, she generates multi-million dollars in sales, and throughout her tenure at KWPP, she's built a career uh, dedicated career as a top producing agent specializing in first-time home buyers, military relocation, investment properties, and luxury real estate. And by way of background, she's a native Washingtonian with Afro-Caribbean heritage. Welcome, my sister friend. Uh, but we are welcoming her here today because she's going to help us and take all of her expertise and think about how we employ it to buy back our own blocks. Annalisa Carter, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Thank you for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Lori.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. When I hear phrases like buy back the block, I'm like, yes, tell me more (laughs) and say more. Let's talk about this. How did you get, uh, what was it about your profession that alerted you to the fact that there was a need for
1: us to be buying back our blocks? Sure. So we've seen that there's a disparity between black and white homeowners. Um, So what I I am charged with is educating my clients and my audience on the importance of home ownership and buying back the block.
0: Mm. And do you find that your audience is I can definitely see your audience being responsive to or or receiving well messages about home ownership, because a lot of us want to own a home like that's a part of the American dream. That's what we want to do. You're supposed to have a home that, you know, that's sort of a sign of your success and your ability to to achieve some monetary stability. But it's a it's a slightly different message to say, oh, in addition to buying up a home, we should consider how to do that in a way that allows us to buy up the block. What has been the response to that part of your message?
1: Sure. So we've seen a dirt in the community where 74 percent of white households own their homes compared to 44 percent of black households that own their homes. That's a 30 percent gap. That's an unnerving statistic. Um, And it highlights that blacks are falling further behind in home ownership. Mm. So it hasn't changed since the civil rights movement. And we also know that homeowners are 12 times more wealthy than renters. So it essentially puts Blacks, yes, at a disadvantage of overall wealth. And that's why it's so important for me to educate my community on the importance of homeownership.
0: You said it hasn't changed since the civil rights movement. And that breaks my my civil rights, social justice lawyer heart because we had one of the three pillars of integration, Annalisa, was we had the, the Civil Rights Act of 64, the Voting Rights Act of 65, and the Fair Housing Act of 68. That was supposed to be one of the landmark legislative uh, civil rights pieces of legislation that was supposed to ensure that that disparity shrank. We were not supposed to still see this. 40, 50, almost 60 years later and in a way that makes it look like it might almost be worse now than it was back then. What, what are we it's to make of this?
1: Widening. It's definitely widening. Um, there have mm. clearly historically been uh, discriminatory practices and services like redlining, but now we're seeing more too often gentrification as a cause of it. Uh, A lot of investors are also coming into the communities and purchasing properties. And then still the lack of education in our minority community has been a call. You can even see recently JP Morgan purchased $1 billion in single family homes across the U.S. And guess where they're targeting? Our communities and other financial institutes are following suit. Wow. I remember as the pandemic was beginning,
0: there was this concern about companies like Zillow um, mm-hmm. b- purchasing, doing something very similar, purchasing up massive amounts of single homes for the purposes of turning them into rental units. But you started yeah. out this conversation by saying that when you own a home, you have more wealth than you do As compared to renters. So this effort by these massive investment entities to purchase up these single family homes and then rent them, it feels like if I'm understanding the logic correctly, that's also going to contribute to a decrease in whatever minimal wealth creation potential we had already.
1: Absolutely. You said it correctly. And they understand the positive equity that you can get from home ownership, but they are also pushing a campaign for renters. So instead of listening to the rhetoric, we need to follow the money.
0: Mm. Now I will recall that when my husband and I first bought a house, we were, girl, we, oh, sis, oh my God. We made all the mistakes, like all the mistakes. I cannot even tell you how many mistakes we made. There was a lot of them. And the idea of trying to purchase again, it, it, it's, it's been a little shaky. Like it was something that we had to work through because it was like, man, you know, owning a home is like, who, and then we have a multi-unit property. So it wasn't just our home, we were also landlords at the same time that we were trying to figure out what does it mean to own a home? And the idea of doing that for us, again, made perfect sense. There were other properties on our block, Annalisa, that were also going up for sale. And I remember trying to convince some of my other friends, a lot of my sister friends and my brother friends, like, y'all need to come to this part of Bed-Stuy. It has not been gentrified. And it really had not yet been gentrified. (laughs) It's like, we need to buy up. We need to do this. We need to buy up these spaces. And I will tell you, we got a lot of pushback, not because the houses weren't good property, they they weren't good quality, but because... It was in the blackest part of Bedside that hadn't been gentrified. They, we didn't have the, the, you, the lovely ramen bars that we now have right. on Malcolm X Boulevard. We didn't have all the amenities. You know, we, now we got a Cinnabon on like Tompkins Avenue in bedford Stuyvesant. It's just insane to me. But we had people who resisted this idea because they wanted to purchase a home in a community that had already been elevated. Right. There was a difference in in mindset between those who want to purchase a home to be a part of the elevation and the restoration of a community. And those of us who are like, I worked too hard to get up out the hood as a kid. You want me to buy a house intentionally in an underdeveloped community as an adult with like a 401k? Are you smoking the bad crack? So how do we have (laughs) this conversation in a way that says, listen, there is a way for us to get our individual needs met as homeowners. And there is a way to be a part of the restoration as opposed to the Gentrification of our communities. Can you help us navigate that pathway?
1: Thank you, Lori, for mentioning that. It's so important. Oh, I just us- I, can
0: I just pause you real quick? Because I know my mother's going to send me a text if I don't. If it's
1: Lori, like <laughs> Marie with an L. She, Marie, Lori, okay. she, she, she always sends me a text. She- <laughs> <laughs> Lori, <laughs> Go ahead. yes. Thank you. So it's important for us to pass down generational wealth yeah. and help um, our community buy back the block. And the way in which we do that is we have to start somewhere. You know, sometimes we have to get our financial standings together. That means we have to understand uh, and do a financial checkup, understand our credit. We deal with that a lot. And then the affordability. So once we understand that, it's easier to purchase a home that is a bit cheaper, right? And then restore the community that way. Um, one thing that we're doing in D.C., our mayor, Mario Bowser, has announced a new goal to make 20,000 additional Black D.C. residents homeowners by 2023. Wow. So she also, it's it's a great charge. She's created a task force to fund $10 million for Black home ownerships, And it's a way to, again, support wealth building um, for Black people mm. and increase, you um, the closing cost and down payment assistance and affordability for that. Wow. Also, uh, she's charged for making it easier for older homeowners to bequeath their homes to their heirs and then creating a network of lenders and realtors uh, to educate future homeowners. Mm. So we have to take stock in home ownership by understanding where we are financially and then do it scared, yes, but also take advantage of the resources mm-hmm. that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh one of the things that uh always has sort of been
0: at the back of my mind was that a lot of times when we're comparing ourselves at an area where we're just beginning. We will compare ourselves to entities that have been in existence for a really long time, right? So if I'm starting a mom and pop restaurant, I, you know, it, my customers and myself, might compare myself to to my entity, to other entities that have been along around for a really long time. And it, there's this build-up phase that a lot of us sort of gloss over because we're like, I'm gonna be the next blah buh, 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 And we envision ourselves being an, a, these amazing, you know, whether it's community investors or builders or what have you, or, or entrepreneurs, and we often forget to factor in the buildup phase and this idea that I can purchase in a community that is not yet built up, but I can be a part of the buildup. Do you find that that is a a hurdle that your clients have to overcome? Because again, if you're thinking about being a homeowner, you're not necessarily trying to be DW Gurley, right? Who was one of the wealthiest black men ever who was like, oh, is this Tulsa, Oklahoma where I'm at right now? Boom, I'm going to lay down foundation so that we have the most thriving, one of the most thriving black communities in the nation. That's a different mindset than just I'm going to get mine and get a house for myself how do we shift from I want a home for my family so I can create intergenerational wealth for my bloodline to I want to be a part of this effort that Annalisa Carter is talking about to buy up the entire block so that it's not just my family that's benefiting individually but we're having an ujama approach to this a cooperative economics (laughs) approach where we are purchasing property in mass maybe through collaboration if you can't do it on your own uh, becoming your own small home purchase group with you and other similarly uh, minded folks, how do we talk ourselves into being in that element of homeownership, as opposed to the kind that we traditionally see, which is me, myself and I and my bloodline that I'm primarily concerned with?
1: Well, I can tell you that it starts with just a conversation. I have had seminars, workshops, just educating our audience. They really don't know. They don't understand the benefits that you get as a homeowner versus renting, right? Mm. The tax benefits that you get each year, building equity over time. Just me spending time with each client talking about equity and equity building, it's just for them, it's it's just a concept that they've never even seen. And so I talk about group economics as well. Maybe one person has the credit and the other person has the capital come together to then purchase property. So just having those conversations about generational wealth and bequeathing the home and the valuable assets that you have once you obtain uh, a home. And so, and I talk to first time home buyers, especially, right? So they want their dream home. And I tell them, maybe you won't purchase your dream home as your first home, but you can use your first home to leverage to then purchase your dream home. Right. If you stay in your house, maybe five to 10 years, you know, you can build so much equity to one, fix up the current home that you in, especially if you're buying back the block yep. to start a business, to send your kid to college, to then buy your dream home. So there's so many things that you can do with home ownership. And it just starts by having that conversation with them.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned the equity because, again, this was something my husband and I, when we first purchased our home, we didn't really understand as well. And, and fortunately, we we had some older black couples who sort of took us under their wing. They were like, OK, new homeowners, we're going to help you out. <laughs> <laughs> so we had the Brownstoners Stoners Club uh, in Bedford Stivest, and We had a, a lot of folks who had been down where we were trying to go who were really supportive of us and, and helpful for us. And and that has been amazing in terms of investment because we have more than tripled our equity in this property and I've, some mm-hmm. one of my friends was like y'all moving to jersey you gonna sell the house i was like is you crazy that house is the <laughs> retirement plan that's the va- that's the college fund like what are you are you crazy so what you can do with the equity that you build up in your home if you have wise counsel and it sounds like that's the type of counsel you're giving your clients is absolutely amazing you you'd mentioned this thing where if someone's got the capital and you've got the credit you can come together and you can purchase this property and and you can do so as a collaboration i want to talk for just a minute about the fact that we sometimes in our community have a fear of paperwork i get it you know I, i get it we don't have to talk about the why for this conversation but with a simple contract not a simple contract but with a series of contracts you are able to really structure purchasing relationships, business type relationships with friends, family uh, you know, with wisdom friends and family who are worthy of this sort of conversation in a way that even if you're not married, even if you're not blood relation, you can create an entity that can also be a part or used to help buy back the block have you seen that? Are you seeing people? Because I know investors do it. I know both domestic and foreign investors do it. I don't yet see a number of black community members coming together and saying, you know what? I see that I saw Starbucks six blocks away. You know they coming. We need to put together a, a corporate entity, maybe an LLC, that will allow us to uh, secure the resources and pull our collective buying power, so that we can, through this entity. Purchase additional properties. Are you seeing those conversations being held in any earnest in our communities?
1: Well, the conversations are starting. We okay. we are far behind, but the conversations are starting. I do partner a lot with lenders that talk about financial literacy and creating LLCs um, and uh, other corporations and entities to do just that mm-hmm. to purchase property. So the conversations are starting around that, especially within our community. So I am starting to see it and I'm fostering those relationships as well.
0: Mm, I, I like that because I think that, again, so many of us are, are afraid of paperwork and we like to do a lot of things with a handshake and a bro hug and a you know a bit of dap yeah. in between. And I'm like, that is so good that you have that trusting relationship. Let's trust each other I enough to, to put it, it down it on paper.
1: Put exactly. it on paper,
0: right? That yeah. handshake and a dap ain't going to do it. You need a contract. Am I
1: right? <laughs> And it's really not that bad. I feel like a lot of the angst and fear is starting to subside. And we're seeing that. But again, we tell people this is the unknown. It's a lot of unknown for people, but we tell them to do it scared. And so we're 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 like, you know, hand holding them throughout the process. And it is a sheer affinity of mine to each have these conversations with my clients and the audience to tell them the things that they can do. And once they have the support, it's not just me, it's a team, it's community advocates. It is myself, it is financial experts. So they build that trust as well throughout Mm -hmm. the process.
0: I like that phrase, do it scared.
1: Like it's okay to be scared, do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Acknowledge the fear and do it anyway because can we-, we have a track record of the benefits of it. Right, 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 and people can speak to it. Yeah, and if nothing else, you know, I, I often
0: criticize hip hop for putting lyrics to music in a way that impacts melanin, that causes us to be motivated towards negative things. But I Ain't Never Scurred might be one of the phrase <laughs> songs you have to play as you're navigating this process because we need people to conquer that fear. You'd mentioned a moment ago bequeathing the property. So and this is a a process for those of you unfamiliar with the term. This is the process of you set up a will or a trust of some sort, some sort of vehicle that is going to speak to what happens to your property after you've transitioned to the ancestral realm. When you have died and you no longer are in the property as a human. You might be, you know, haunting your your relatives depending on how you feel about them. But when you're no longer a human being and you have mm-hmm. this property that has to be managed, you mentioned bequeathing it in such a way that it can continue the intergenerational wealth development. Can we talk about that part a bit? Because if I see one more GoFundMe to help bury <laughs> Big Mama or one more, you know argument between siblings about what to do with the house because, you know, Big Daddy left the house to everybody and there was never any conversation about who would actually live in the property, who would pay for maintenance, how we do that. And you see family units rendered asunder because of an inability to to manage this asset. Can you talk with us about how we should be approaching what happens with our properties after we have died? How can we prepare our families to inherit this property in a way that does lead to intergenerational wealth and doesn't lead to one child getting mad at the oldest Because there's always somebody mad at the oldest and then selling off their (laughs) shares and creating all this trouble and yes
1: i'm the oldest child so there's that okay i was gonna say that but i didn't want to um it is a great conversation to have and i think i've even had a client that is in that Particular situation. They have their grandparents in the home that has been in the home. The house is paid for, um, but they still have to pay the taxes in the house. And I know people who have lost their homes that were fully paid for um, because they didn't pay the taxes. So, again, educating our community. And people don't know where to start to have these conversations. The best person to talk to in this is a title company they can go through and talk about the deeds and transferring the deed over to uh an heir and that's where you start the conversation you if you don't know of a title company you can always talk to a realtor and lender we all work within one community Mm -hmm. each transaction or each home buying process they have a lender they have a realtor and they have a title company that is who you can converse with to have those conversations about leaving your property to your heirs.
0: And then you need a good estates lawyer, I would imagine, as well, only because I'm, I'm literally de- dealing with one element of this uh, within our family. And, and you know, my our grandparents passed some time ago, and they're still trying to manage some of the affairs of that estate. So sometimes even having a will isn't enough to really help seal the deal and make it a closed end situation but if you get a good estates attorney they can talk with you about the difference between setting up a will so that you are using that as a vehicle for preserving wealth and passing it down or something that I've really become much more attracted to personally and and we're actually working to get an estates attorney on to help us talk about this is is a trust uh, an an irrevocable trust that will basically serve as sort of a third party that manages your estate for you in a way that doesn't rely on the emotions of your family members are you seeing folks in our community using that option in order to preserve wealth in a way that can minimize the the post-death and
1: burial trauma Again, it's it's at a slow alarming rate, mm. but we are starting those conversations. Yeah. You see it all the time on Instagram, right? You see building an LLC, building a trust. What does that mean? So I do, I'm very proud of our people that we are throwing that information out there on every platform that we have. So I would tell your audience to definitely tune in. I know sometimes it can be information overload, but find somewhere, especially at a local market, wherever uh city or county that you're in to talk to your trusted agents, to talk to your trusted lenders, to talk to your trusted uh, title companies, to have those conversations and tap in. I mean, you can easily reach out to someone on social media and ask questions and join seminars. I think we too are very eager as well to gain information. And like I said, I'm proud of us for doing that.
0: Yeah, no, I I love I like your energy about that because, yeah, we're slow to the game. But I mean, we had to have a a federal legislation just passed 58 or not even 58 years ago, like a couple of decades ago, just so we could buy a house. And that's before we even get to all of the the racism and the inequities in things like appraisals. We've had a number of shows where we've highlighted uh, the racial discrepancies in appraisals. You want to purchase a home or or you want to sell a home. You have an appraiser come in. If you if it's still blackified, you might get one break. But if you de-black, and I, I will never forget a friend actually used that phrase for me the first time when she was talking about her home selling experience, and I was horrified, but I realized yeah. it's actually a term that speaks to what happened. She de-blackified her house, took down the praying black Jesus, um, the, the black uh, you know, cross hands, and, the, and all the, the pictures of family and friends, and basically whitewashed the home and got a completely different uh, estimate in terms of value. So, you know, the fact that we're slow, I mean, it's awful, but we're slow to the game. But that's not really our fault. And I I appreciate that you
1: appreciate that in the way that you approach this. But I'm so glad you brought that up because according to the National Association of Realtors, only 6% of realtors are black, which is contrary to what the 14% of the population in the U.S., so we as realtors, we have to do a lot and we deal with a lot of institutional racism as well that we try to combat and you mentioned something that's so important because when I have listings um, I go into the house, of course, depending on the area, I have two yard signs. So my marketing is different, right? So I have yard signs. If I'm in a historically black community, of course I'll have my beautiful picture up there, but if I'm in another area where it's predominantly white, the price points are higher. I make sure all of my marketing materials don't have my picture. I don't have my picture on my yard sign, And again, what you just mentioned, going into the homes. Of course, you know, you tell them to change the paint to a neutral color, but you also want them to take down the African-American art and paraphernalia as well, because you want them to, again, get the maximum amount for their home. And you don't want anything to deter them from getting potential buyers. Can we talk about maximum amounts for a minute? Um, we were really blessed
0: when we purchased our first home because we bought from a, a, an elderly sister named Miss Davis. Now, Miss Davis's house had been on the market for quite some time, like over, you know, six months. And this is when the market was hot, right? Couldn't nothing be on the market in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn for six months and not something be wrong. Again, we were really okay. we weren't really smart. We bought our house in the winter. It had just been a snowstorm, freshly fallen snow. The block was beautiful. We walked into the house. <laughs> we see the arch doorway. I'm like, oh my God, this is my dream home. Uh, it was not my dream home. And then in the summer came and we realized oh this is why miss davis house was on the block for so long because it's ratchet as all get out on this block love my block like my block is amazing but like we realized okay this is why but miss davis actually also had made a decision that she was only going to sell to a black couple like she was not gonna sell to the newcomers to the neighborhood, she was not gonna be the one to bring gentrification to the block. And I appreciated that because one, we, we benefited from that. She she was willing to price it, not at the top value that she could have gotten, but she priced it um, in a way that we would be able to, people like us would be able to afford. And I think there's something to be said for, yes, we want the maximum dollar, but there are times where we can be thinking critically about I want the maximum dollar, but from whom? And if the person, the group I want to purchase this home is a, a part of my community I may have to be more sensitive to the the value differentials like we have the situation in Brooklyn where if you sell a brownstone that you own in downtown Brooklyn Let's say you're in the Park Slope area or or you know Cobble Hill area. You might get three million dollars for that property, four million dollars for that property, and you can come to a neighborhood like mine at Bed Stuy and put down cash for a 1.7 million property and still have money left over. And I can't compete with that. Like residents can't compete with that. And there is something I think to be said for Black homeowners when we choose to sell. Choosing to sell, being mindful of that, making sure we get the bag, because I'm not saying you ain't got to get the bag, but also right. being conscious about to whom we are selling and the way we preserve community once we are not intending to continue to be a part of it.
1: What, what are your thoughts about that? So that's interesting because I, I hear you and I understand where you're coming from. But think about the obverse, right, that you have our white counterparts. They may do the same thing we want to keep this, this community as white as possible. Oh, they don't do. Want we know they do it. In. Right. We <laughs> don't want any others to come in. You know, there goes the neighborhood. So you don't want that rhetoric as well. So it's interesting when you have contracts and that's why you have these third parties, you're not directly talking usually to the sellers or buyers directly. They don't interact. It's the representative of their realtors on both sides. Mm. So when you have that, you know, you don't, the seller or buyer doesn't see the name of the buyers necessarily because then you prejudge it even realtors i know some realtors that have changed their names because it may be too ethnic um because that may deter people from buying so again you you can make that claim but you don't want the obverse to happen as well so you want to be as equitable as possible so I, I will say I want to be equitable within the reality of a white nationalist country yes.
0: So, so, so I, when we know white folks is doing that we know that according to the Pew Research Center 70, more than 75% of white people don't actually have a black friend so we know that they are definitely doing that My, my dis, I, I settle on comfort with the difference in intention right if your intention yeah. is to keep black people out because you think it tears down the neighborhood versus uh, and, and so you will only sell to a white person versus a black family who's trying to preserve a sense of community that to me those different purposes may create different outcomes. But I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I definitely hear what you're saying. But I, I will say this, when, when me and my husband sell this house, we, we, we looking for us to sell the house to. But with the, the, the idea being, we want to make sure that black people are able to, because if I do what everyone else is doing in the market, black people will be priced out. Like they'll never be able to compete if I have a purely market-driven approach. And so I think part of my ujama understanding is that I, I, I want that bag, because I got kids, we got to put through college. I need a retirement fund to be supported. But I also want to make sure that the people who are longtime residents in my community have the ability to stay there. So it, it's a walk and chew gum sort of approach that I, I'm trying to take. But I, I hear you because we know what it and looks kudos,
1: like on the other side. And kudos to Mayor Muriel Bowser from DC for yeah. putting forth this initiative for black homeowners, yeah. because she understands how expensive it is to invest in DC. It's gone up dramatically. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's important to preserve the culture and the identity. I mean, we were once, you know, the chocolate city. Yeah. So, you know, preserving the black community in DC is very important. Yeah. And so kudos to her for doing that.
0: Do you think that that's a model that we should see other mayors employing actively? We've we've got a number of Black mayors around the country who are also grappling with with housing insecurity and wanting to increase Black homeownership. Is this a program that you think others should be looking at to perhaps mimic in their own uh, jurisdictions?
1: Absolutely, especially like in Atlanta, because they're getting hit hard with the investors and these mega landlords that I was mentioning coming into and buying up their homes. And it's literally put, they can't compete, you know, a single person or family cannot compete with a law large institution. And so I think communities like that, it's very, very important. Mm, For sure.
0: Yeah. We're gonna have a lot more to say about home ownership and community building. You know, we we talk a lot about the theories behind why uh, we want to bring our communities together. And and there needs to be some, yes, we have the heart and we have the passion, but we also need the the expertise and we need the technology and the technical expertise that will allow us to do so in a way that does empower us going forward. So in addition to this conversation throughout this year, y'all, Urban View, I wanna bring on appraisers. We're trying to find some black ones. It's it's been a little rough. (laughs) It's been a little rough. So Annalisa, if you know some black appraisers, let us know.
1: I can definitely refer you. Okay, Shayla. Shayla, I need you to reach out to Annalisa because we need some black appraisers
0: <laughs> to have that side of the conversation. I want to bring on people who are who have done this before. We've taught we I've seen a number of examples of groups that have gathered, not related, but just black folks who want to do good for the community, who come together, set up the proper legal structures, have the proper contracts in place, the proper agreements and side agreements together, and they are doing exactly what you're talking about, Annalisa. They're not they're just they're buying a property, yes, but then they're leveraging that to branch out from within that, that ground zero, uh, that, that baseline property and using that as a way to purchase additional units, rent them out at affordable prices. So these are folks who are not saying, well, I'm going to buy up this block and then I'm going to jack up the rents. No, they, they, they've got a community mindset approach, an ujama approach. We're going to buy up the block, make sure they have good landlord-tenant relationships for those who are renting if we're not going to sell the property, make sure we're taking care of the units so our people don't live in squalor. These are things that we have had to do before the Fair Housing Act and unfortunately in light of the statistics you shared at the very beginning fair housing act or not these are things we definitely still have to do now because these problems are growing and so is the gap Uh, so i'm really grateful for you joining us today and being a part of our conversation how can the audience connect with you follow you and and participate in the webinars and the seminars that you have uh, that talk about these topics and more
1: Sure. So you can follow me at Analisa Sells DMV on Instagram or Facebook, and that is Annalisa, A N N A L I S A S E L L S DMV, or you can look at my uh, website at AnnalisaSellsDMV.com. Annalisa
0: sells dmv.com It's been a real pleasure having you here and it's oh such my. a shame that your beautiful picture can't be everywhere because you're so beautiful my god <laughs> I hate racism I hate it <laughs> Thank you for being with us today it's been a real pleasure having you here <laughs>